Would you join me this morning, please, in John chapter 17, as we make our way through the gospel according to John on Sunday mornings. This will be our last week in this chapter, which is our Lord praying shortly before His disciples will cross the brook Kidron and enter into the Garden of Gethsemane, where Christ will be betrayed into the hands of sinners. As a reminder, Jesus prays for Himself in verses 1 through 5. He's not praying selfishly, He's praying to be glorified, that He might glorify the Father. Then in verses 6 through 19, He prays for His disciples. He prays for them to be sanctified as they go out into the world, preaching the gospel. And then He prays, last of all, for us, the future believers, that we would be unified. So if you found your place in John chapter 17, would you look with me please in verses 20 through 26. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and thou in me that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that Thou hast sent me and hast loved them as Thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also whom Thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which Thou hast given me, for Thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known Thee, but I have known Thee, and these have known that Thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them Thy name and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. And so we took one week to consider how Jesus desires for us to be unified. The reason that Jesus says this is because the world needs to know that God has sent Christ. Our unity is crucial to our outreach efforts. The reason that's so is because if we get divided, if there's disunity... We're going to be so focused on all the infighting in here that we're not going to go out and do what God has commanded us to do. So we have to stay unified. Last week, we considered in verse 24 that Jesus not only wants us unified while we're in this world, but He wants us to be together with Him for all eternity. Hallelujah. His desire is for us to be with Him in the world to come. And certainly there, we'll be unified with Him whether we like it or not. Amen. Hey, man, some of you, oh, man, i got to go to church. It's kind of this or that. Uh, Hey, you'll be glad to be in the presence of the Lord there. Uh, Okay, I'm not going to preach. I forgot. I threw my voice out yelling at the Georgia-Alabama game. And uh, so we're just going to talk to you today. I apologize. I know you all come to hear me spit and holler. Um, Anyway. So, in chapters 18 and 19 to follow... We're going to watch as Jesus is betrayed, He's put on trial, He's going to be scourged and mocked and beaten, He'll ultimately be crucified. He who knew no sin is going to die a sinner's death. And how is it that this one that only went about doing good, how is it that this one of whom the world was never worthy? How is it that this one who never harmed anyone is going to be treated with such hate? 
How is it that the Creator is going to be so despised by His creation? Well, in verse 25, we see the reason why the only sinless one to ever live on this earth is treated with such cruelty by the world. Would you notice the beginning of verse 25 with me again? It says, O righteous Father, the world hath not known Thee. That's the problem. That's why the world could take the sinless Son of Man and condemn Him to death. Deliver Him to the Gentiles to be mocked, scourged and crucified. This is why they could betray and deny the Holy One and the just. And instead they desired a murderer to be granted unto them and they killed the Prince of Life, the Bible says. Had they known Jesus was the Christ, God in the flesh, they would have received Him. He would have come unto His own and His own would have received Him. They would have recognized Him as the Messiah. The Apostle Paul stated as much in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8 where he wrote, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now we who are born again this morning, we understand that it was through that that God was working our salvation out. He took their evil and He turned it for our good. Because it was through Christ's rejection and His sacrifice that we would have a way to be reconciled to God. Isn't that interesting just to think about? I mean, just the way that God works. I don't understand that. That we could take somebody perfect, we could nail him to a cross. And even after he's dead, we could come up to him and pierce a spear into his side. And yet God was using that for our salvation. Isn't that amazing? Listen, we have to conclude like the Apostle Paul did in Romans eleven thirty three. 33. Oh, the depths, both of the riches and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. Listen, I don't know what you're going through. God's going to work that thing out for good. If you just stay faithful. But still, in how Jesus was treated by the world, we see how mankind behaves when they don't know God. There's a lack of godly discernment. There's a lack of proper judgment and justice. And there's pride and there's all manner of evil and sinfulness. What we find is there's hatred for righteous and for those who will dare to live righteously in this present evil world. People look at those who will deny ungodliness and worldly lust and live soberly and righteously and godly and they'll look upon those with hate. But Jesus warned of this. He told us in John 15, 20, and 21, Remember the world, remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they had persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto me for my name's sake. Why? Why? Because they know not him that sent me. Jesus said in the next chapter, John 16, verses 2 and 3, They shall put you out of the synagogues, yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that they do God a service. 
These things will they do unto you. Why? Because they have not known the Father nor me. Let's take that idea, let's apply it to 2020. Here we are some 2,000 years from this text almost. We're heading into election season. Well, we're in election season. We're heading into the election. There's all kind of chaos in the world. Why? Because the world doesn't know God. The reason the world is in a mess is because they don't know God. The reason that wickedness of mankind is great in the earth, the reason evil abounds, is because the world doesn't know God. Psalm 14.1 says, The fool hath said in his heart, There is no God. And you know what we see in verses 2 and 3 following there? What it looks like when a people don't know God. This is what it says. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if any were, if any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. That's what it looks like when a people don't know God. It's corruption. It's filthiness. It's abominable works. They go aside. And listen, I'm just quoting the Word of God. That is not my opinion. That's what God's Word says. That is what a society will look like without knowing God. The reason I know this is true is because you and I were no different before we got saved. You better say amen. You were just as a wicked, hell-deserving sinner as the person we look at negatively. And now as we behold the wickedness across our land, we need to be sure we're not overcomplicating things. When we look at the state of our nation, we tend to want to point fingers here and there and bring up this reason and that reason. And listen, it's really not that complicated in what's going on. We need to admit the real issue in America. And that is this, we don't know God. I'm not suggesting we don't point out the issues, but when all is said and done, we need to unashamedly state that at the root of those problems is that we the people do not know God. We can go on and on about how evolution has poisoned our schools. And it has. But a people who know God will reject a theory which so blatantly goes against the Bible. Amen. We can rail on the courts for stripping away the Ten Commandments and how that has degraded morality in our nation and schools, and it has. But a people who know God would never take away the Ten Commandments from out of public view. We can talk about the wickedness of legalizing the murder of the unborn. And it is a great evil. And now some are to the place where they're saying it's okay that after a child's born, we can still reserve the right to kill it. But a people that know God, they understand that every life is precious in the sight of God. And how is it that a people can go to such great lengths to rearrange their lives and go out in the middle of the South Pacific Ocean and try to save the whales and at the same time be okay with abortion? 
It's because they don't know God. We can talk about the perverseness of redefining marriage beyond one man and one woman. And it does violate God's Word. And if we're honest, it violates the very laws of nature that we observe. But a people who know God believe in the sanctity of marriage. We can talk about how racism is pitting this group of people against this group of people, and it is. We can talk about the extreme groups on each side that are inflaming the issues in our country, and they are. But a people who know God believe that we were all created equal. That we were all created in the image of God, and therefore every life is precious. We can talk about how there's corruption at all levels of our government. And there is. We can rail against this party and that party on whatever aisle you want to rail against. But a people who know God will find common ground in God's law. Because God is largely unknown, we are not learning the lessons that God is intending to teach us through this pandemic. Chris Christie, the former governor of New Jersey and former presidential hopeful, He was recently hospitalized for seven days. He became infected with COVID-19. And upon his release from the hospital, this was his message. Every public official, regardless of party or position, should advocate for every American to wear a mask in public, appropriately socially distance, and to wash your hands frequently every day. At the same time, we should be reopening in every corner of this nation under these guidelines. I believe that these two steps can bring our country together while our pharmaceutical companies invent the therapeutics and vaccines which will rid us of this virus, end quote. Now, listen to me because somebody's going to try to hear something I'm not saying. I, I don't care that he's advocate, advocating for masks and social distancing and washing hands. Look, there's enough people I don't want to be around. I'm okay with social distancing. Amen? <laughs> Let's just make that permanent. Uh, I like having clean hands. Amen. I, I, we go through the soap. I mean, I just like having clean hands. It's almost weird for me. All right, I'll stop there. And listen, if you want to wear, wear a mask, I don't care. If somebody says, look, you got to wear a mask to come in here, I'm going to put on the mask. I'm not going to make a stink. It's my choice to go in there. And if I want to go in there, i got to abide by the, their rules. And, and so that's not what I'm talking about in, in giving you his quote. But what highlights the problem in our country is the last thing he said. While our pharmaceutical companies invent the therapeutics and vaccines which will rid us of this virus. Can you imagine a man who has a national platform coming out of a hospital after being on a ventilator for seven days because of this virus and being able to say every public official, regardless of party or position, should advocate for every American to get on their face and pray before God. That's what should have been said. And it's only God who can rid our nation of these things. The problems we face is because we don't know God. Not we need to trust our pharmaceutical companies to get their act together. It was a perfect opportunity. I know nothing about him. He may be a religious man. He may not be. God controls it all. We don't need some breakthrough in science. God may allow that. And I hope he does. I'm ready for folks to get back here that are otherwise timid. But what we really need to do is repent and turn to God.
Here's God trying to get our attention, and rather than promote some cleverly devised plan that's going to help us through things, where we're waiting on this almighty answer from the pharmaceuticals, why not just say God is the answer? Yes. Amen. Yes. See, that's why we're in a mess. Yes. Amen. But listen, the world's going to do what the world's going to do, and they're actually doing exactly what we should expect them to do. This is what lost people do. This is how they behave and think. The world is going to be wicked. It's going to be evil. It's the nature. They're not going to see God as the only answer. And notice in verse 25, Jesus is making a difference between two groups of people. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. There's the world that doesn't know God, and then there are the believers that do know God. Jesus points out this distinction. And I want to tell you, there ought to be a difference between the two groups. But what are we witnessing taking place today? We're watching as the two come together and merge as one. We're watching as the world influences the church instead of the church influencing the world. Churches are to be reaching the world. The world is not supposed to be reaching the church. And somewhere along the line, people believe the lie that says they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. That makes no sense. If you're so heavenly minded, you're going to be so concerned about lost sinners, you're going to care about earth. But somewhere we believe this idea that this group is just, they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. Oh, wait a minute. If we want to grab those people, then we've got to become more earthly minded. No, it doesn't work that way. And now we're watching the merging of the two. The truth is, we need to bring the lost into a life of holiness and union with God. 1 Corinthians 15, 47-50 says, The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, listen now, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. And so we're not to bear the image of this earth, but we're to bear the image of the heavenly, which in context is Christ. We're not to bring corruption into the church and give them the false security of having salvation, but that's exactly what we're doing. And now there's people all over the church that don't even know Christ. Come on now. And what's beginning to permeate the land are these churches that are no different than the world. And there are actually so-called churches promoting the corruption that I just highlighted. Listen, there are churches that teach evolution. Churches that say the Ten Commandments are not relevant for our day. There are churches that actually stand for abortion. There are churches that marry same-sex couples. There are churches that are promoting racism. There are churches that they have basically just become a political entity. 
They don't see God as the answer. No wonder we're in a mess. What, is it, what does it say when many of these so-called churches don't even know God themselves? And no wonder those who will come into the average church will never be confronted with a decision about Christ and their salvation. Now, I'm not here to preach against other churches. I hope you know my heart. But what I am trying to do is highlight the problem that we're seeing today on why people don't know God. What I will say is this. This body of believers needs to do what's right. Liberty Baptist Tabernacle needs to be known as a people of the Word of God. And we need to show the difference that Jesus is highlighting here in His prayer. We need to demonstrate that we actually know the God of this Bible. We actually know Him. How do we do this? Well, it's not by action only. Notice what Jesus said He did in verse 26. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it. To declare means to make known. Jesus was making God known. The word declare goes beyond just giving a declaration that we believe God exists. But it means we are causing people to understand who God is. We don't really make God known when we just give a simple verbal assent that we believe in His existence. That's not making God known. We make God known by taking it a step further and explaining who God is. And if there's ever been a time in history that we need to do that, it's now. Because now we're seeing about three generations away from people that gave up on the Bible and the church. They don't know Adam and Eve. We need to explain His deity, His character, His attributes, His promises, and how that He's been real in our life. When we declare God to others, we're declaring that we know Him personally. And that we have eternal life as a result. Isn't that what Jesus said in the verse 3 of this chapter? And this is life eternal that they may know God. The only true God. And Jesus Christ whom Thou hast sent. Misquoted, but you got the point. He starts it by saying you need to know God. He's just about to end it by saying you need to know God. And we've got to go further than we're going. Because we think we're doing this awesome service when we tell people, yeah, I attend church. I go to Liberty Baptist Tabernacle. Whoa! You need to make God known. Yeah, I believe in God. Okay, take it a step further and make God known. What's the problem with the world again? They don't know God. And it's our responsibility to make God known in the world. Jesus established the church so that we would go forth making God known in the world. We're not merely to live a life in line with God's standards. That would be good. And that will show a difference from the world. But we are to speak up and explain the reason why we live a different life. The reason we have to speak up is because the world isn't going to magically look at you and go, wow, he's got a sharp haircut. He must know Christ as a Savior. Amen. Listen, we, we've, got to, we've got to start getting more involved 
How are they going to know if we don't tell them? We need to explain how we're no longer what we used to be. Because one day God was made known to us. We believed in Him through the sacrifice of Christ. Listen, we're not trying to convince them that we've discovered a better way. No, no, no. It's not that this way is better than this one. It's that we have the only way. And we're not trying to convince them to switch their insurance company so they can save hundreds. Amen. We're trying, to, we're trying to let them know. No, there's only one way. And we've got to keep digging deeper in our conversations. You know what this means to declare God to people? Listen, we've got to become invested in their life. So that you can get to a deeper level of conversation than just, Hey, how's it going? Did you have a good weekend? But that we can start getting to the place where they're starting to recognize there's something different here. Hey, I can go to this guy with prayer requests. And, and you can start sharing with him the things of God. And you can start building this relationship to where you're able to open up the Word of God. You're able to share with them the deeper things of God than just, yeah, I believe in God. We have to become personally invested. How do we do that? Well, we have to have a love for the lost that rivals God's love. Look at what Jesus prays at the end of verse 26. That the love wherein thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. And he brings up love. And you say, well, these were saved men. And yes, they were. But listen, they weren't always saved. They weren't always lovable. Just like you and I. And the world needs to know the love that we have for them. I'm not saying we're embracing them. I'm not saying we're compromising. I'm not saying any of that. But they need to know that as God loves Christ, and as God so loved the world and gave Christ, so we want to love them and give them the message. Aren't you glad someone loved you enough to keep after you? Boy, I'm so glad my parents didn't give up on me when I was not very lovable. We need to let people know that we love them by making God known to them. You see, love isn't always saying things that's going to make us feel good about ourselves. It, love will declare truth. And sometimes the truth is not easy to hear. But we have to love them and give them the truth. Give it in the right spirit. We don't have to be ugly. But the most loving thing we can do is declare to somebody their need for Christ. Now, I've spent this message applying this to us and the lost. I want to take this last thought and apply it to you and I. When we were born again because God was made known to us, thankfully someone declared Him to us. And that happened in various ways for all of us, I would think. If we were to give our testimonies, it can happen in a number of ways. But God became known to us. And notice Jesus says in verse 26, I have declared unto them thy name and will declare it. Having God declared unto us for salvation, that isn't the end of having God declared unto us. Is everybody with me? For those of you that could care less about witnessing, shame on you, but now you can focus. It's not enough that you had God declared unto you when you were saved. Jesus says, I have declared thy name unto them and will declare it. Meaning, I will continue to declare thy name unto them. 
the Lord, through the Holy Spirit, will continue to make God known in our walk with God. The Bible says in Romans 5, 5, because the love of God is shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Ghost. We see in verse 26, the reason we need God continually declared unto us is so that the love wherewith God loves Christ may be in us. What kind of love is that? That's why we need God declared unto us. Even after we're saved. We need Christ's love in us. And here's what I want you to get. The knowledge of God's love in your life is in step with your walk with God. The love that you comprehend about Christ is going to correspond with how much God is being declared unto you. Jesus said, I will declare it unto them. Why? So that the love that God has for Christ may be in them. And this is so important to understand because it's alarming to me. How many that are sitting in churches that don't understand how much God loves them? I don't feel like God loves me. Christ was butchered for you. I don't feel like God loves me. I'm going through this really hard time right now. It just alarms me. So here's the thing. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. Therefore, a Spirit-filled life is necessary to experience the depths of God's love. According to verse 26, we need God declared unto us, or we need God made known unto us, because we need to understand who God is. Now, how has God chosen to do this? Number one, through His Word. Amen? We go to the Word of God. God is declared unto us. Another way is we come to church. We hear the preaching of God's Word. We hear God's Word declared unto us. If we want a deeper experience of God's love, then we must study the Word of God. And then we must be faithful to church where the Word of God is properly taught and preached. And what happens is people forsake God's Word. They forsake God's Word. They withdraw from church. And they begin to struggle because they're quenching the Holy Spirit in their life. And as a result, when life begins to fall apart, you know what they say? I don't know if God loves me. No, no, no. You messed it up way back here. God's trying to get your attention so that through it all you can learn who He is and what His Word is. But what you have done is you've forsaken the Word of God and you've forsaken the assembling of the saints. You've quenched the Holy Spirit. And now that that circumstance comes in your life that God's trying to use to draw you back to Him, you say, I don't think God loves me. Listen, the problem isn't with God. The problem is you've left your first love. The Lord told the church in Ephesus in the Revelation chapter 2, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Because thou hast left thy first love. And then he gives the the remedy in verse 5. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works. Or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of its place. Except thou repent. And so if you are not experiencing God's love like you know you should. Or like you know you once have. Then you need to repent. Repent. 
And you need to do the first works. You know what you need to do? You need to do the fundamentals. You need to get back to the basics of Christian life. Listen, you, you know where I stand on the, on the... There's five basics. Read your Bible. Go to church. Pray. Witness. And give. That's Christianity 101. And yet for many of you, God still doesn't have your wallet. God still doesn't have your witnessing. God still doesn't have your prayer life. God still doesn't have your time to read His Word. And God is still kind of over here when it comes to other church services. Come on now, I'm trying to help you. These are the fundamentals. And Jesus says, you've got to repent. You've got to go back and do those first works. You've got to return to your first love. As I counsel marriages, and I ask them, how did you fall in love? What was it you were doing in those days? We would go do this, and we would, I, then go do that. Do that. Go back to that which caused you to fall in love. Amen. Spend time with your wife if that's what she needs. That's what I need. But Spend time with your wife if that's what she needs. Take her to the skating rink if that's what she wants. You won't see any of us there anyway. Amen. Because we're independent Baptists and we don't do anything. We don't even have TVs or radios or cell phones. or. You know, what I'm trying to say is the Lord wants us into a deeper experience of His love that He has for us. But you have to be willing and you have to yield yourself to God's leading. One of my favorite songs is entitled, Oh, the Deep, Deep Love of Jesus. It was written by Samuel Trevor Francis, who apparently spent over 70 years in the ministry. Isn't that amazing? It is said what led him to a life in service to God was that when he was a teenager, he contemplated suicide by jumping from London's Hungerford Bridge into the Thames River. But instead, he had some sort of spiritual awakening, a turning point. He surrendered his life to service to God, and during his life, he went on to experience the love of God in a very personal way. From a man who thought all hope was lost and I just need to end my life. At the age of 41 in 1875, he penned these words. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Vast, unmeasured, boundless, free. Rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me. Underneath me, all around me is the current of thy love. Leading onward, leading homeward to thy glorious rest above. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Spread his praise from shore to shore. How he loveth, ever loveth, changeth nevermore. He watches over His loved ones, died to call them all His own. How for them He intercedeth, watcheth over them from the throne. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, love of every love the best. Tis an ocean vast, a blessing, tis a haven sweet of rest. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, tis a heaven of heavens to me. And it lifts me up to glory, for it lifts me up to Thee. Is that love present in your heart? Do you know that kind of love with Christ? Maybe it's because you've never entered into a relationship with Christ to begin with. And you've never experienced His love. Maybe it's because you're no longer allowing God to be declared unto you as you know you should. Perhaps you've gotten out of the Word of God. You've started backing away from church and God's not being declared unto you. And 
You don't know that kind of love that he wrote about. Listen, God wants a deeper relationship with you this morning. Let's pray.